welcome to the Gathering Church Podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about The Gathering, you can check out thegathering.online. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. We are going to talk very practically today about church leadership and church growth, but here's what it says in Psalm 78, verses 18 through 20. It says, and they tested God in their heart by asking for the food of their fancy. I don't know about you, but I love food, so I always test God in my heart asking him for the food of my fancy. Um, I'm supposed to go somewhere, some hot chicken place, what's it called? Hot chicken takeover today after uh, this session, so uh, pray for me. Uh, Yes, they spoke against God, and they said this. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? And behold, he struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. How can he give bread also? How can he provide meat for his people? God has this incredible ability to prepare tables in the wilderness. Despite the environment that is around this area, this church will serve as a table in the wilderness. So what is our job as volunteers, as team members? It is our job to set a table for people to feast in the presence of God. It is our job as church leaders to provide an atmosphere where people who have never met Jesus before to sit at the table. What are, what's our primary role here today? I just want to teach you the table of culture. Church culture is an interesting thing to say because, uh, first of all, it includes the word cult in it, so you have to be very careful as to how you describe it. Um, but I, here's what I know about culture. Culture is easy to detect, but it's almost impossible to define. So you can walk into a family. Have you ever go to like your friend's house for a sleepover as a kid, and they like just had a fight? You know, but they're not fighting at that moment, but you, you can still feel the fight. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you on your way here today, you walk into church on Sunday morning, and he's like, <laughs> uh, check those kids in. You better. I ain't raising my hands for nothing, you know, or whatever. It's not that you're fighting, but you can feel the fight. You know what I'm saying? And the same is true for church culture. When you walk into a church, no matter what church, no matter how old the church is, how new the church is, no matter what, every church has a culture. Some churches have good ones. Some churches have unhealthy ones. Some churches have toxic ones. Some churches have great ones. You and I both know that uh, it's, it's easy to detect, but sometimes hard to define. Why is culture so hard to define? Because I can't buy it on Amazon Prime. I can't go on here and say, oh, I want some church culture prime now. I want it to be sent to my door, and I'll open up this box, and out comes healthy church culture. Church culture is not something that you can tangibly hold or something that you can build. It's, it's something that you have to foster and really look through. And I want to define culture for you so that then we could practically look at what that looks like here at the gathering. If culture is the table, it sits on the foundation of a vision, and you guys have a vision already. And so I'm not going to talk vision because you already have the three Bs. They're very uh, clearly outlined, and that's the foundation. So what do we want for everyone? We want them to uh, belong, believe, and then become. That's the floor, right? So that's not the table, but it is the floor. Um, So we, we want everyone in this city to belong, to believe, and to become. If you don't know those three Bs, 
you can just go outside or here to the right and just stare at it, take a picture of it. Or on your way out today, there's a sign that has the three B's. And I would encourage you to really commit those. So that's that's the that's the the, the floor. But table the the table is culture. Now there the, the table has four legs. Okay, four legs. And I wanted this table only has one leg, but if there was a real table here, it would have four legs. And the first one is philosophy. Why do we exist? Why do, why do we even do this? Why, why do we even exist? All right, so that's the first one, is philosophy. You have to answer that question, why do we exist? And I, I, I believe you have a good handle on this, so I'm not going to spend uh, a long time here. But we exist because this was the local church is the hope of the world. It is Christ's mission here on earth to advance the kingdom through the local church. So why do you exist? You exist because Christ called us and he said, wait here in the upper room until I send the Holy Spirit. But once the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to spread out and you're going to speak in languages you didn't even know, but other people that were around you know, so that the power of Christ can come. And then you're going to build a church upon this rock, meaning upon this church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so why do you exist? This is your philosophy of ministry. It is your unique purpose. And so here, uh, outside of Columbus, you, you guys exist uniquely. You are uniquely positioned to reach this region. I want to let you know there is no other church like the gathering. There is no other place. You have a hope and you have a future and you have what the world is looking for. I want you to remember this when you walk out of these doors today. What you have is weighty and heavy and important, and the cashier at the grocery store needs the hope that we just sang about. And they need the spirit of God that we just entered into. They need that. And so you have to remember that's why you exist. The second thing is theology. These are foundational beliefs. This is what do we believe. Um, there's probably tenets of the faith that Pastor Matt could take you through. There's probably some foundational beliefs that you probably should uh, educate yourself on, especially in a world that is so biblically illiterate, you probably should know uh, some fundamental truths. And if you need help walking those out, I'm sure that Pastor Matt can resource you, whether that's the 16 fundamental truths of our uh, ancient movement, the Assemblies of God, or uh, or if that's a different tenets of faith or, or some more or less than what he wants to teach you. But you need to know that the the if, if vision is the floor, then we have uh, philosophy, which is why we exist, and then we have theology, which is what we believe, and then the third leg is methodology. This is the, how we operate. And so this is our method. How do we operate as a church? Here at this church, it's gonna the methodology will always be changing. The theology doesn't change, but the methodology does. And here's what I know about a young church plant like this one. Um, you have yet to tap into your full potential. You are, you are not even in toddler stage. You're not even in terrible twos just yet. Like you're, what, what are you, one years old, about to turn one? I mean, you're a baby. You're still pooping in your diapers as a church. I mean, essentially, you know what I'm saying? It's like when you look at, when you look at the age of this church across the history of its timeline, it's literally just a child. And so... Um, from you, those who are believers in this room and leaders in this room, every time you get frustrated with something, every time you want to complain about something, look at the timeline of how old this church is and, and ask yourself, would you complain about that if it was a one-year-old doing that? And you'd say, probably not. It's a one-year-old. I'm not yelling. I'm not shaking my one-year-old. Why aren't you eating food for yourself? You know, why aren't you, why aren't you potty trained yet? Why? Because they're one years old. And so don't put a demand on Pastor Matt that's not, that's, don't put an unfair demand on this ministry that cannot be because it's not old enough yet. 
our church is only 10 years old. And I got people coming to me, and why don't we do this? And why don't we do that? And at my last church, this. And at my last church, that. And you have to understand that methodology is ever evolving as the church matures, then it's methodology, what we do and how we're organized. You know, he might not be at every birthday party in the future. You know, it's like at some point it will scale beyond his ability to personally be at all things for all people. And so you, if you can handle that development and maturity, then you'll see God do some great things. Am I, are you with me this morning? I'm just trying to help you how, how the, the table is set up. So philosophy, theology, methodology, and then ecclesiology, which is like, where do we gather? What does it look like when we express our worship? And that here is through passionate, spirit-filled, evangelical, charismatic, whatever you want to call it, uh, an expressive, this is a movement of the spirit. Like the word spirit in the original language is pneuma, the breath of God. <sighs> Wind in your sails. It should feel when you worship here at the gathering, it should feel like there's wind in your sails. When you leave church on Sunday mornings, it should feel like, not like you're caught in the doldrums with no wind at all, but instead like if your hands are lifted, like there's there's a wind in your sails. The lost people of this region, what they need are wind in their sails. They keep going through life with no wind, no spirit, no breath. And what it does is it leads to addiction. It leads to divorce. It leads to teen pregnancy. It leads to all this depression and anxiety and mental illness. But when they walk into this place, when they walk into this room, it should feel like a breath of fresh air. It should feel like, wow, when I left the gathering, my head is held high. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. It's, it's, the Spirit is moving here, and when you, when you understand that and when you get into that, then you'll see people who don't even know how to articulate a move of God start to say, wow, something's different about this place. And what would make this place different? It's the people. It's you, 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 you and the presence of God will determine how someone feels about this place when they leave. And so it's important to know that you have uh, those four legs of the table. So uh, you have philosophy, theology, methodology, and ecclesiology, which is basically the four main pillars. So they all sit on the vision. There's four legs. Are you with me on the illustration of the table? But how many of you know that if there's not a tabletop, there's nothing to eat off of? You don't eat off the leg, you know, you eat off the top of the table. And so I have an acronym for T-A-B-L-E, and I want to define what church culture is so that you know, oh, that's what he means when he says culture conference, or that's what he means when that's an unhealthy culture or that's healthy culture. The first letter for table is T, spelling is hard, uh, trends, okay, trends. This is the first one, trends. Um, there are seasonal patterns in the church where certain trends are trendier than others, and that helps establish a church culture. You have been to a church before that got stuck in a trend from a certain era and kind of landed there. Um, I grew up in a church where the, I don't, and I don't want to offend anyone, but this is not a, this, I don't know what church you're thinking of. I'm just thinking of the church I'm thinking of. So don't take offense to this, but I grew up in a church where it looked like Jumanji on the stage. Uh, there was more fake plants than like, you know, 
I've ever seen before, you know, and so the pastor sat up on the throne. It was like a throne. I don't know if you, I don't, I don't know what church you came from, but my, my, my old, the church that I grew up in, the pastor was on the stage on like a, like a wingback chair, almost like very like high church, you know, it's like, I'm watching you worship right now, young man. <laughs> Are you chewing gum in the house of the Lord? You know? And he had a, a phone like connected to the sound guy and he would tell the sound guy to turn it up or turn it down. I mean, this is like, that's what was trendy in those days. They would, the pastor would come out during the second song. He would not even, you, you wouldn't get a handshake from the pastor before the service. Even if you were the biggest giver, he didn't care, you know, and he'd walk out. This was just the trend. This was just the trend at the time. And they'd walk out and they'd sit on their throne and they'd sit on their, and their plants are covered everywhere. Plants, f- fake plants everywhere, you know, and the, the worship would sing, you know, uh, behold, he comes riding on the clouds. Good worship. My favorite songs, the era that I grew up in. But what was that? That was them establishing a culture that was a trend. That wasn't the original church in the Bible. The, the church in the Bible, they didn't have a fake plants everywhere sitting on the stage. So don't tell me, like, let's get back to the original church. That's not the original church either, you know. Uh, there was a time and place where the King James Version of the Bible was the only Bible that was being preached. It was one of the, you know, the only resources that was being read. And now there's many versions and many translations, and you obviously have to be careful and discern. and, and But understand that at one point it was like the King James was seen as the original language, even though the Bible was not written in the King James. It was just the trend. And so when you, like the fact that everything's painted black, you know, it's like, I don't know how long this is going to be cool, but for right now, this is what is cool. And it's not biblical or unbiblical for it to be painted black. Or for the lights and the 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 vape, um, what's it called, the haze or whatever it is, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, uh, there's no vape in this church, but you know, there's vape in my church. I got a couple guys back there behind the scenes, you know, just filling up the smoke. It's just a joke. It's just a joke, everybody. It's just a joke. It's all trends. It's all trends. And and here's what happens: the trend that was most formative for you will be the one that you're most in love with. Right? Like, I love the old songs because I grew up, I mean, I'm, I was a Christian like nine months before I was born, okay? I, I did cannonballs in the baptismal tank on Baptism Sunday. I would eat the leftover communion bread as my parents spent hours in the lobby after church. I've taken more naps under more pews than you'll ever take. I mean, I'm, I'm like church, church. But what I've learned is that culture is created by trends. And so this church culture, this is a pretty trendy church, right? Like there's not pews. You're not even sitting in rows today, right? Um, Pastor Matt, I don't know. Do you sit on the stage with fake plants? They're not bringing out fake plants for you? Okay. So all of these things were not bad. They were just trends. Skinny jeans, big jeans, you know? I, I, would, I, would, I would be struck by lightning wearing a hat in church growing up. If my mom saw a picture of today, she'd still call me and say, son, why are you going to that church in Ohio wearing a hat on the platform, right? And it, is it biblical? Unbiblical? We could argue about all day, but it, at the end of the day, it's probably just trends. So here's what I would say to those who are pushing one way or the other. It, just know that they're temporary, They're just culture creating. We're just trying to create a culture. So like the reason it's black 
You know, it's people like, why, why is it so dark in this church? Well, we only want the light on the thing that pe- we want people to see, which is the communicator or the screens. It's not that we're, it's demons in the black, you know, it's like, it's like, it's not biblical or unbiblical. It's just trendy right now. And so here's my caution to the leaders is don't get caught stuck in a certain trend. It's like, don't get married to certain trends. You've all been to the church that was married to something and they haven't let it go. And it's become a sacred cow. It's become, you know, the volume level or this music style, everything. It's got to always constantly be keeping up and uh, trends, trends. So we know that a trend might not last forever, but we just, we stick with it until, and we're always willing to change. We're willing to like, all right, you know, skinny jeans are no longer a thing. Like now it's like people, I see these guys wearing huge clothes, like huge. I'm like, yes, you know, not. It's way more, way more comfortable. All right. Are you guys with me so far? I'm just trying to define culture. When we say church culture, what do we mean? We mean it's, it's a table, and the T in table is trends. So like church online, right? Every church went online during COVID. It's like now it's not even a trend. It's a norm. You have to be online. It's like it's a, it's a must. You have to have an Instagram account. And the aesthetic is what the kids say. It's like aesthetic, you know? Uh, it's a trend. It's just a trend. Maybe the... Instagram church thing won't be a thing anymore in the, in the f- future, but it's a trend. The next thing is this, is an attitude, A. A is for attitude. Have you ever been to a church with a bad attitude? They're not fun to go to. <laughs> They're not fun to go to. What sets a culture in a church is the attitude of the church. Now, here, you guys are the real Christians of the church. It's Saturday morning. You're here. You're, so your attitude is not what I'm worried about. <laughs> But your attitude on Sunday mornings is contagious. So how you worship is, uh, obviously it's for God, but it's also being watched by those who don't know God. Like It's way more caught than it is taught when it comes to the attitude. So when a lost person walks into these, to the, to these rooms, which they will, and they're going to be, you are going to see a harvest of souls this fall like never before, because this will be the first fall you have that's like really post-COVID. Like, I think we're really done with it now. And I find, I, I think people are going to want to searching for faith again, searching for church again. And so your attitude is the maker or break it when it comes to someone actually enjoying the first 10 or 15 minutes of the service. And so even if something is not like you wanted it to be, even if the kids check in label printer, it has a demon in it because ours always has the the check-in. Even if the, even if the, you didn't get your parking spot or someone sat in your seat or whatever it might be, keep a good attitude. Like when I walk into the gathering, I want people smiling. When I walk in the gathering, I want people looking for opportunities to not let anyone sit by themselves. Right? It's a good attitude when you have an attitude of hospitality. When you say, okay, uh, today I'm on a mission. I'm not just going to talk to everyone that I usually talk to, the people that I know, but I'm going to get out of my comfort zone and I'm going to gravitate. We have, a, uh, we have a, like an open circle rule because I have to pry open the greeters at our church. They love to talk to each other. And they, they, what happens is they start, at the, they start in their positions waving at people, and then eventually, like, right when everyone starts coming in, they're, like, all together in a little circle. And I always go up to them. I was like, you guys got to open up this circle. 
Like, leave room for some lost people to come in here. Some new people need... And so we will always gravitate towards who we know. We always gravitate towards what we know. We always want to talk to the people who we want to catch up with. And this is the only time during the week to catch up with. So we have uh, the, 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 the no circle rule. So if I see a closed circle, you're not allowed to close it. You got to always keep the circle open for someone else to walk in. And if someone does walk in, it's, it takes hard work. It takes discipline. It takes a good attitude, but I'm going to open up the circle for someone else to come into this conversation. I'm going to make eye contact with someone that I don't know. I'm a firm handshake, right? No, no, you know, no floppy fish, <laughs> gentlemen, when it comes to handshakes, especially around here in Ohio, the back of a gun store, we shake hands, you know? You know, just go over there, shake that man's hand. You'll know how you should shake someone's hand. Because he, he shook my hand. Just, ah, I was like, ah. <laughs> you know, we, we firm handshake. We welcome them in. We're, we, we are intentional. And then I have this rule. And I tell them this all the time. And it, it just, it, it, it'll leak. Culture leaks. It's like a bucket with holes in the bottom. And you'll forget this next year. And I'll come back. And I'll tell you the same exact thing. You'll be like, oh, yeah, we should do that. 15 minutes before the service and 15 minutes after the service, there should be a time in your mind and in your heart where you say, I'm not going to talk to people who I already know. I'm going to make an intentional effort 15 minutes before and 15 minutes after to, after to scan the room, and I'm going to create a culture of hospitality by looking for someone who I don't know. And that's hard. If you're an introvert, it's tough. It's even hard for me after preaching, writing the message, preaching the message, praying for everybody, and then I really try to get intentional. I go straight to the lobby, and I'm just scanning the room. Give me someone I don't know. Why? Because I know that that's what creates a culture of hospitality, and my attitude is important. So an attitude is the way that I approach lost people, approach first-time guests, approach new families, and healthy cultures have contagious attitudes. You can squash the negativity with a few good people with a good attitude. You ever had someone that just, nothing's ever wrong? They just walk into the room. I mean, someone could have just died, and they walk into the room, they're like, what's up, everybody? It's like, dude, somebody just died, dude. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry for your loss, man. You know, that's obviously with respect. But that's the kind of lighting up of the room that this room should be doing on Sunday mornings. When you walk into a kid's classroom and that nursery worker's hair is frazzled and there's goldfish crackers are missing and, you know, some kid's got a peanut allergy and you forgot and he's exploding. You know, it's like you walk into the room and you say, God is on the throne. Today is going to be a great day at the gathering. I am so excited to be in the presence of the Lord. And there's no one else that I would want to worship with than you. Come sit with me. What is that? That is, that is elevating the temperature in the room to having a, a culture. I'm telling you, it's important. And it, here's what, it, it draws the best out of the preacher when you have a good attitude. It's amazing to me how much better my sermon is when you have a good attitude and how much worse it is when you have a bad attitude because you're filtering the sermon through your attitude. And so you got to faith it till you make it. Some people say fake it till you make it. I say faith it till you make it. Just believe today God's going to speak to me through the man of God that he's ordained as my pastor. Today God's going to use this worship team to get me into the presence of God. And I've been hungry for a move of God all week long. And so when my attitude changes, you have to enter into his courts with praise. 
You don't start praising once you get into his courts. You come into church praising. This is important. So I hope, I'm hope, is this helpful? Is this, okay, good. I'm just, I don't know. They don't seem like angry people, but they can overwhelm the ones that do come in tomorrow. You know, the Sunday morning people, the non-Christians that aren't here yet, you got to overwhelm them with good culture, you know? And so you got to have, you got to have trends and you got to have attitudes and then behaviors. So this kind of goes with attitude, but you can feel it on the inside, but you got to actually do it on the outside. You know, you got, like you can, I've met people who are so content and so happy, but their face doesn't know it. It's like, dude, has God been good to you? Yes, he has. Did you enjoy the service today? I loved it. It's like, well, let your face know how happy your heart is, you know? And, and, and here's the deal. A behavior is this. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning into the word. I'm taking notes. It's like, I don't, even, I don't even like this sermon. I don't even like this series right now. I got so many things on my mind, but I, you know what? I'm not going to allow the enemy to convince me to behave a certain way. I'm going to let God get all the glory. So I'm going to lift my hands even though my kids are lost right now. I'm going to lift my hands even though I had an argument with my spouse on the way to church. I'm going to lift my hands even though I'm going through difficulty and trial because I'm not going to allow my circumstance to dictate my behavior. I'm going to let my, my flesh catch up with my faith, you know? And so I smile. The, the, the offering might have been low, but I smile. Because I don't know who's in the room today that hasn't seen someone smile in a long time. Watch what happens when I smile. When I smile, guess what you just did? You know what you did? You smiled. What is that? That's behavior. That's, that's, it's, it's not even manipulation. This is the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. This is making sure that the glory of God reflects on our countenance. So I'm, I'm going to, to create a couple of behaviors. Now, here are some practical ones, and, and these might apply, these might not. So you can take them with a grain of salt. But um, we always strive to fill the front row first. All right? Now you're like, that's not my chair. That's not where I sit. Well, watch your attitude, okay? We just talked about that. Here's why. If there was anyone else famous coming to speak it, let's say, um, who's famous? You guys lost that head coach, so he's not famous anymore. Uh, yeah, sorry, just kidding. <laughs> LeBron James is a good, a good example. Let's say LeBron James is coming to the gathering today. All right, you just put one. LeBron James. Uh, let's just uh, Beyonce. How about Queen Bee herself? You know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Whoever it might be. Do you think the front row would be full? Do you think the front row would be full? I'd say so, right? Let's say old school. Let's go with uh, Bon Jovi or uh, let's go with someone famous. I mean, real famous, Justin Bieber, you know? Justin Bieber was coming to the gathering, and he was going to share, you know, uh, Gyra. He was going to sing Gyra, you know? Let's say Maverick City. Let's use Maverick City as example. Maverick City's coming, you know? They're coming to sing. You think the front row would be full? Guess what? Who, guess who's here every single week? Jesus Christ himself. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who's worthy of our worship more than any human here on earth. So the front row should always, that's a behavior. That's a behavior. I know what you're thinking. Well, the air conditioning vent blows right there on that seat and it gets really cold. It's like you start to convince yourself that you have a seat and it's not on the front row. Let me encourage you right now. If you were preaching every week and you were investing the time that Pastor Matt invested into the sermon and it's like all people all spread out and they're not leaning in. 
Let me tell you right now, you're not hearing from Pastor Matt. You're hearing from God. And so sitting on the front row or sitting close, sitting in the middle, here's another reason why I'm just going to get real practical. I told you it was going to be nuts and bolts. When people arrive late and they're looking for a seat, they tend to not want to come to the front and cause a distraction. So as leaders, what you can do is you can free up the latecomer seats in the back and on the edges by sitting towards the front and in the middle. Do you have rows set up on Sundays? Or Yeah, you do. Okay. So um, I'm just going to, he didn't ask me to tell you this, by the way. He's not like giving me extra. Just to be like, I have him set up closer to the front. But here's what I know. And he would never ask you this because he's humble and he's a servant of God and he loves you like a pastor. But I love you like an evangelist, <laughs> which is very different. I get on an airplane here in just a couple of hours and you guys might not ever see me again. So I can tell you how I really feel. When you come to church expectant, it changes the atmosphere. And so when you sit up close and in the middle and you decide, you know what, today I'm going to use the restroom before church, not during the altar call, not during the message. Today, I know that coffee runs right through me, so I'm not going to drink coffee, right? Those are practical decisions that you can make that will enhance the culture of this house. So if you come to focus at our church, like we take out chairs where you don't have an option. You're only going to sit in. We'll put two rows out knowing that a thousand people are going to show up and we'll just keep bringing out more chairs. Why? Because I got my doctorate in chair management. And I know that if there's a back row open, that's the first place y'all are going to go sit. Because that's normally where we all want to sit. Easy exit, more comfortable, uh, less, less uh, you know, pressure. But for the sake of, of the gospel and for the sake of those who might be coming later, sitting in the middle and in the close. That creates a healthy culture. If, if, if Beyonce was coming, this room would not be big enough and everyone would be everywhere. Guess who's better than Beyonce? The presence of an almighty God. And he deserves our worship. If, if I told you Jesus was coming back incarnate to preach today, this place would be leaning in full. Okay, um, I went a little too long on that. Another, another behavior is like, you know, helping the preacher preach, you know? You know, and I know that every, every it's culturally, I don't know what you want. You know, I don't know if you want running pews and swinging from the chandeliers and people being pushed over and spit everywhere, anointing all being flung. You know, it's a, that's cultural, right? That's, that's actually a cultural difference. But it does help every once in a while when you get something from God just to say, amen, Pastor Matt. I agree. Let it be. Let it be is what amen means. It means let it be so. Like, yeah, I want that in my life. How many of you want to be blessed? Amen. Let it be so. How many of you want God to do a work in your marriage? Amen. Let it be so. It helps him know that he's doing his job okay. Normally, the more amens, the shorter the sermon. So if you're hungry, just start saying amen, and he'll get right through that thing. Because he's like, yeah, I'm doing good. Yeah, I'll get right through it. But if he has to repeat himself because he's not getting anything back from you, he's going to take longer till he, till he gets in, in your heart. Okay. T-A-B, trends, attitudes, behaviors. All right. Then we have language. How many of you know what's the big difference between us and Mexico? Language. Between us and China, language. Language is really the culture creator or the culture distinguisher. You know, we speak American English. We don't speak uh, England English, British English. We speak American English. You speak Ohio English. 
Come on, somebody. You know what that is. You've been somewhere else, you're like, that's not Ohio English. You know, I live in North Kakalaki. They be speaking like this, you know. I'm pretty sure that's a good word. I got, a, I got one security guard with me on Sunday mornings, and he's like, I love your heart, preacher. I just love your heart. I have to really, like, translate what he's saying into my, through my translator. Language is important. You've been to those churches before where if you didn't know God, you would have no idea what was happening. Good afternoon, brothers and sisters of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye to your feet so that we can worship in the throne room of our God. What? And so you have to be careful how you articulate things. If you're expecting people who don't know God to come into the presence of God, then some of it takes an interpretation uh, and some balance. You know, I didn't say... Come up to the platform, Pastor Matt, so that I can give ye a prophetic word of knowledge last night, you know? Because I have to walk you through what God is doing. And there are some times that I just can't describe what God is doing. But when you go to shake someone's hand or to say hello to someone, let's not be full of assumptions that they already know what we already know. Because we live in a culture that doesn't know what you and I already know. I'll give you a really practical example on how you need to walk people through every step of what's happening in the service. Uh, A lady got saved in our church, and we were so excited. She raised her hand, and when someone raises their hand at our church, uh, we have like a little gift basket, and it has like a baptism shirt and a baptism sign-up card, and it has a brand new Bible, and we just like, hey, welcome to the family of God. We're so, congratulations. And then as they leave with the bag, it helps our prayer team, you know, we spot them. You know, we're sniping them out, like, bag in the back, get the bag, you know. And then they follow up, hey, it looks like you gave your life to Christ today. Tell me a little bit more, you know, tell me a little bit more. And um, so a couple weeks go by, and I remember just this lady had raised her hand, and she had gotten saved. And she comes up to me after the service, approaches me at the platform, and she says, Pastor. I said, hey, how's it going? I, I know you got saved a couple weeks ago. So excited for you. She says, yeah, it's, it's been amazing. She said, can I ask you a question? And I said, sure. And she brings me the Bible. And she says, what are the big numbers and what are the small numbers? And it took me back to a place of really making sure that we are making converts and disciples, not just baggies of raising their hand. Language matters. She didn't even know the chapter and verse. She didn't even know the breakdown of the Bible. You and I, I mean, I would assume anyone here on a Saturday morning, it's almost natural for us to say John 3, 16. She didn't know what the three, and she didn't know what the 16 was. And those are the people that are right outside these doors. And so when you see someone come in, and they might not be dressed the way that you think that they should be, they might have a couple cuss words come out. Some of you have a couple cuss words come out, but you know what I'm saying. Their language is only through their experience. So don't overwhelm them with Christianese. Oh, brother, you need to get your life right with God. You better get right. They don't even know what getting right means. 
You better read your Bible. They don't know what the big numbers are or the small numbers are. And so having this love for lost people that helps break down the assumptions is so important. I think in a room like this, you probably already know that, but it's, it's a helpful reminder because, again, we pro probably grew up in church like I did where it's like, I know what the big numbers are, and I know what the little numbers are, and I know what the Old Testament is, and I know what the New Testament is, and I know what the prison epistles are, and I know what the gospels are, and I know what the, the, uh, the Pentateuch is, and I know what the minor prophets are, and I know what the major prophets are, while the world that we are trying to reach has no idea. So Pastor Matt's job is tough. Our job as a whole is tough because we have to have a double barrel approach. There's a gun reference for you. We have to, we have to give you the meat as saved, mature Christians while also explaining the meat to children in milk form. It's twofold. This isn't a seeker-friendly church just for the lost person, but it's also not just a grandiose theological buffet for us to gorge ourselves with meat and forget that there are people that are starving for God's word out there. We can do both. Like this church can do both. You can provide meat to the believer and you can provide milk to the sinner. And we can be a church that is double barrel, twofold. We have a unique approach where we aren't just reaching lost people and doing games and gimmicks and, 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 and cheap milk for, for food, we can do reach the lost and equip the saints at the same time. And I know that Pastor Matt's anointing is like that. And I know that this church hearts that way. But you have to be careful because the language will always lean towards the religion. Brother, sister, God bless you. What? I am a brother now? What is a brother in this cult? What is this little cup of juice that we are drinking? You could see how if you're from the outside, that would look weird. Like, why is that person getting into water? <laughs> you got to explain some things. You have to, because if not, you're full of assumptions, and then you'll only reach Christians. And we don't want to just reach Christians here at the gathering. We're okay with Christians coming, but we don't want just to be transfer growth. We want transformation growth, people who did not know Jesus to come. Okay. And then the last thing is environments. These are the non-tangible elements of physical space. You ever walk into a place and it's like, it just lacks excellence? Um, imagine I take you to a steakhouse, Ruth's Chris. You guys have Ruth's Chris around here somewhere in Columbus? Um, we have a place called the Angus Barn in Raleigh. It's like won a bunch of awards, very nice. It's like the place you go to on your anniversary and your birthday. And they have a great steak. It's called um, the Tomahawk. It's 42 ounces. If you go to Chili's, you get six ounces. Okay? This is a 42-ounce steak. That's the only thing I get when I'm there. It's amazing. Imagine I spend the $150 on this steak that it cost, and they bring it out on a plate that has, like, crusty ketchup from the last person on it. Even though the steak was prepared perfectly, even though the cook had done it perfectly, it was cooked to medium rare, which is the only way to order a steak. If you order a steak any other way, just get out of this church right now. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Um, imagine if it just had like a little crusty ketchup on the edge of the plate. You know, it's like 
no matter how no matter how good the steak was, the 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 environment, the, the plate upon which it was served ruins the entire experience. That's culture. The word is coming forth. The, the worship is coming forth. But if they have a bad experience in the parking lot, it's like crusty ketchup on the edge of the plate. If it takes too long to check in their kids, it's like crusty ketchup on the edge of their plate. If the sound is, is, is not, ex- if it's too loud or too soft, or it, it, all of that, like, the meat is there, but the plate is our responsibility. And so it's your job as leaders on Sunday mornings when you walk around, if the trash can's overflowing, because you know, it's always the youth group's fault. You, know? you always blame it on the youth group. If you have a Spanish church, renting from you, then you could blame it on the Spanish church. That's what normally happens in most churches. They're like, like, hey, it's the Span- oh, Spanish congregation for sure. It's like, no, we, we're not even going to complain. We're just going to clean the plate. We're just going to clean the plate. What am I, I'm, I'm just here to clean the plate. No crusty ketchup in this church, right? So if you see a trash can overflowing, if you see pieces of toilet paper in the bathroom, right? The number one room that, that people decide on whether to come back to a church or not, do you know what room it is? It's the women's bathroom. Us men don't care. If you go to a men's bathroom, you realize we don't care. But if you go to a women's bathroom, so ladies, I'm not in there. I haven't been in there yet. Um, but I, w- I would say, you know, if, if there's toilet paper missing, don't just be like, well, somebody will get to it. That's a bad culture. That's an unhealthy culture. Uh, you, you, you say, hey, where can I find it? You don't even bother. Don't even bother the pastor with these uh, level one, two, and three problems. I mean, just, I give you permission as your cousin, brother from another mother from North Carolina, I give you permission to fix problems that are one, two, and three. And then I give you permission to ask your leader for problems that are four, five, and six, and then only bring to this man and not before he preaches on <laughs> Sunday. Hey, the building's on fire. You can bring that to him. Okay. <laughs> but I give you permission to create a culture of ownership that says the plate is my responsibility. So from every nook and every cranny, if there's a spider web, they come, spiders come. If there's a bug that made its way inside. Don't be like, someone kill that rat! Out loud in front of the first-time guest. Don't want to do that. Okay. Ooh, a cockroach. Gross. No. Just go over there and stomp it out like the devil, twist your foot, pick it up and throw it away and keep on worshiping. And don't even, don't even burden, don't even burden the leader with it. You know what? This is our church together. We're a family and we're creating a culture. So trends, attitudes, behaviors, language, and environments. Um, I know I took a lot more time than I thought I was going to, but I just want to let you know that it's our job to create the table in the wilderness. And not believing that this place will be that when it gets a hold of trends, attitudes, behaviors, language, and environment. So what is culture? Culture is the table. It's not the, it's, it's not the foundation. It's not the legs. But it's, a, it's the plate and the table upon which people eat from. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for my friends. Thank you for this church. It's an absolute blessing to me to be able to pour Uh, the little that I know into this incredible church. I I speak blessing and favor upon them. I thank you 
that you've called them to greater things, that there will be lost people that walk through these doors, and when they walk through these doors, they are going to encounter a healthy culture. We love you. We're excited to be a part of your church. What a privilege it is to be called Christians. I pray you would help us reach people who don't know what the big numbers are and what the small numbers are. Give us grace to reach lost people. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, I love you dearly. Thank you for letting me hang out with you for the past 24 hours. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to today's message. The Gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, and become who God created you to be. For updates, service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.